This Thacker Slate podcast is hosted by Connie Thacker and Allison Slate, two experienced attorneys who believe honesty, transparency, and knowledge are key to achieving the best legal outcomes. A variety of topics, particularly those related to sensitive family law matters, are candidly covered by Connie and Allison in a way that's refreshing, timely, and practical for listeners. Welcome to another continuation of the Thacker Slate podcast, and we have with us today guest uh, Ben Burgess, who is with Fountain Hill, and today's topic is parenting time uh, coordination. Ben, uh, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to talking about parenting time coordination with you. So just give the audience a little bit of background on yourself and, and what you do in terms of parenting time coordination. Uh, Good morning. Thank you for having me here. Again, my name is Ben Burgess, and I am at the Fountain Hill Center. Um, At the center, we offer a lot of court-related services, uh, custody and parenting time evaluations, uh, intimate partner violence intervention, um, substance abuse evaluations, uh, among other things. Uh, One of the specialized things that we offer is parent coordination. We've been doing that for for some time uh, and have a lot of experience in that area. That is a uh, unique service uh, that we offer that requires uh, highly specialized training and background. And we see a lot of parenting time coordination, right, in high conflict cases. And it's really about trying to bring the parents together and get them to understand the order and have agreements, but what's sort of a little bit of the history of parenting time coordination? It used to be before the Michigan statute came out that the courts could just freely order it. Now we see that the parties must agree to it, but what's sort of the background and the history of uh, PC or parenting time coordination? So PC uh, work grew out of um, a movement in California uh, it, and back then it was called uh, a special master. The first cases that I had as PC, uh, I was referred to as the special master. Um, that's, that's quite the title. It, right. <laughs> that, uh, that made me feel great. But that, uh, that evolved into uh, parent coordinator, which, uh, which makes not more sense. Not as special, sense. really? Uh, not, <laughs> yeah. not so much. Um, it, it was designed to try and intervene with some of the higher conflict families who were the frequent flyers in court, who were frequently in court over minor issues, and there was always conflict. The The goal was to help keep these parents out of court and to help them engage in behaviors that are or were in the best interests of their children to decrease conflict and parent. What was that's generally the purpose of it, right? The purpose of parenting time coordination is to decrease the conflict and to decrease the frequent flyers from being in the court system all the time over there, whether they're arguing over, you know, sports or piano lessons or whatever the, the, the minor stuff is that these parents still have difficulties agreeing on. So, it's a lot of the day-to-day issues related to the parenting plan. Well, I think the general public needs to understand that going to court is 
really expensive. And so when you think about the hourly rate and getting a motion together for something as simple as, I want reimbursement for the $160 soccer camp, uh, you're going to spend anywhere from $1,000 to $2,000 on that motion hearing just to get your $80 back. Yeah, the, there's no question that the judicial system is uh, expensive, and I don't think a lot of people uh, really understand that when they're going through the process. So I guess the first step is, you know, the, the parties agree to it, and then you generally see a, a stipulation and order for it, right? That's correct, and that stipulation and order outlines the specific things that the PC can and can't do. It outlines uh, the fee structure. Um this is a, a, a service that's done off of a retainer. Uh, it is expensive, uh, but it is much less expensive than going to court. And the statute that you're referring to also kind of delineates different powers of a parenting time coordinator that you referred to earlier, and that statute was from 2014. Is that the case? That's correct. And so this is really a, a new thing in Michigan, at least the last few years, that's kind of getting rolling as far as that statute's concerned and the need to agree. Uh, it, that's true, and it really helps clarify what a parent coordinator can and can't do. Correct. Yeah, I they, think the statute does a good job of that. What agree. I really don't like about uh, the statute we, is that we the get parents both must of them agree. on board and they I both think that participate. That sort of bootstraps the court system from being the able retainer to is paid, order they have some buy-in what is necessary in these high the conflict cases. But the statute is what the statute uh, it, the process is. And often at this point, starts we need with uh, uh, what we would call psychoeducation, where we would educate the parents on the impact of their ongoing conflict on their children. What are some of the guidelines uh, that parenting time coordinators have to follow? Uh, the American Psychological Association has specific guidelines uh, for parent coordination. The Association of Family and Conciliation Courts also has guidelines. They're currently uh, in the process of revising and updating those guidelines. Um, and the the state, uh, the state of Michigan, through um, uh, the state court administrative office, also has uh, some guidelines. So, and those guidelines require that the parent coordinator be, for instance, a trained mediator, uh, have experience with the legal system, education regarding high conflict divorce, um, developmental guidelines for children. Uh, so it, it's, again, it's a very specialized task that requires very specific training uh, and knowledge. Can you give us some examples of some of the cases that you've worked on and how that kind of runs its course and maybe some of the reasons why parenting time coordination might fail? Uh, and also talk a little bit about the duration. How long do we need to have it in place and how does the order address that? Because I know that a lot of people um, sometimes want a short-term fix, but that doesn't really seem to fit this model. This tends to be a longer-term intervention. Uh, and How long by have you seen them? Is it? Are we talking weeks, months? <clears throat> Probably some of the cases I think we've seen for years. Parent, parents are involved in parenting time coordination. Uh, that's true. I have had orders that direct me to be PC for just a matter of months. Uh, and I've seen orders that direct the parties to participate in PC until the children reach the age of 18. So that can be years. 
Um, a, a fairly typical duration is one year. Uh, and every PC order at this point has to state a specific period of time uh, in which the, the parents uh, participate in the process. They can always renew their participation uh, at the end, uh, but one year is uh, uh, a fairly typical duration. And then do you, uh, as the parenting time coordinator, do you uh, do any testing of the parties in the children, or is that pretty much already done before they get to you? That's something that's pretty much addressed and taken care of by the time uh, a case gets to me. Uh, in fact, that may be one of the things that a custody and parenting time evaluator recommends in their evaluation that the parties participate in PC uh, in order to try and help reduce some of the conflict. So your recommendations, I take it, are reduced to writing and you provide those recommendations to the court, right? Because at the end of the day, you're, you're doing the parenting time coordination to give some feedback to the lawyers and the parties in the judicial system. Uh, that, that's one of the things that, that we can do. Um, we usually begin by trying to mediate agreements and to work out solutions to those day-to-day -day problems in the parenting plan. We try to be uh, to try to have some insight into future problems that they're going to encounter, uh, and and we try to iron those out before uh, they become emergencies. Um, so we try to be proactive uh, in addressing those problems. If we're not able to mediate something and come up with an agreement between the parents, uh, the PC will often make recommendations. And the issues that they can make recommendations on are specifically outlined in the state statute from 2014 that Allison mentioned. Ben, I think I ask this question quite a lot when we do some of these podcasts, but as far as our clients are concerned, what's the best advice I can give them as far as how they approach parenting time coordination, how they approach the meetings with you, and how they approach the other parent while they're going through this process to put themselves not only in the best light, but really um, set themselves up for success in the process? We want parents to disengage. Uh we want them to follow the court order. Um, we want them to slow down and de-escalate. When I first get parents into my office for parenting coordination, I mean, we all know the ideal is co-parenting cooperatively with, uh, with the other parent. That's often not likely to happen right away. So, we look at developing a parallel parenting arrangement where we minimize contact between parents and try to give them the opportunity to disengage from the conflict. So it, this is about de-escalating, slowing things down, being proactive so that we can anticipate problems that are coming up and doing what's best for their kids. Do you right. see parenting time coordination as 
a necessary component to parallel parenting because I have a lot of clients who call me and say, you know, I just want a parallel parent. And I don't think that they really have an understanding of what that means and what mechanisms we have to have in place for that to work. Yeah. And maybe we back up a little bit and talk about that. So co-parenting is the parents are able to generally make decisions together and we don't have a ton of conflict. We may have some and the parenting time coordinator is helping them move through aspects of co-parenting together. And if you're not able to co-parent, then we're into a parallel parenting process and maybe talk a little bit about the parallel parenting. With parallel parenting, what happens at parent A's house happens at parent A's house, and, and they're responsible for that. Likewise with parent B. What happens at their house stays at their house, and they're responsible for that. And there's minimal communication going back and forth. Obviously, there are some issues that have to, to be communicated about, medical issues, school issues, uh, those types of things, that has to go back and forth. Uh, and the parent coordinator can kind of be the conduit for that information. Otherwise, parents are disengage from one another. We, we minimize the in-person interactions that they have and give them fewer opportunities for conflict. Well, Ben, we really want to thank you today for coming in and talking to the audience and in particular our clients about uh, parenting coordination and how important it is and how much we see it uh, in custody and parenting time cases. So uh, we appreciate your time and thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Thacker Slate podcast. If you have additional questions, do not hesitate to contact us at 616-888-3810 or visit our website, thackerslate.com, for additional information. 